anyone got a pencil? Hello, my name's Mark and I'm the host of the Mixtape Podcast where every week on the show I will ask my guests to make up an imaginary mixtape. They'll give it a title and pick six tracks. Track one, what's going to be your intro track, your attention grab, your track one side one that's going to draw me in and make me want to listen to the rest of your tape. Track two, pick a song that you sing loud and proud when you're on your own in the car or the shower. Track three, pick your favourite cover version. Track four, pick a song you wish you could have played to your 18-year-old self. Track five, pick a song that you would put on your mixtape to let the listener know that you are romantically interested. And track six, I'm going to ask them to pick something a little bit obscure, maybe a B-side or an album track. Don't forget to smash that follow or plus sign at the top of the page and you'll be notified every time there's a new episode. And you can follow me on Instagram at the mixtape perf. Hope you enjoy this week's chat. Hello and welcome to the mixtape. And on this week's show, I'm absolutely buzzing to be joined by Danita Sparks from L7. How are you, Danita? I'm very well. I'm doing some interviews for the upcoming tour L7 are doing in New Zealand and Australia. So getting really excited to get down there because because i'm such a, a professional and i like to be prepared i watched pretend we're dead last night your your documentary just as like a sort of to prepare first of all amazing documentary i, I found it like really sort of raw and and like honest and some some of the backstage footage that, that you got there is i'll never look at nick cave in the same way again oh i will <laughs> <laughs> Was that shot by like band members or, or was it shot by road crew or, or how did that footage sort of all come together? All of the above. We, we, one of our earliest thing, the, the, the biggest expense we've ever purchased as a full band was buying that camcorder very early on. And our first one was actually stolen off of the top of Jennifer's amp at a oh, show, wow. literally stolen by the local junkie in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. But, in front of many witnesses, so a very brazen young junkie that kid was. But uh, no, we uh, we were always filming each other, and our road crew would film us. And I'm I'm very glad that we had the foresight to do that because mm-hmm. it was the basis of the documentary. Because we had all this footage, and it's like, well, what are we gonna? We've got to do something with this. And you know, our story is kind of cool, and it's also a tale of like. Hey, sometimes, you know, your name is bigger than your your wallet. And it kind of tells that story. And also just kind of the the arc of a a person who chooses to go in the arts in general, you know. And I'm glad you enjoyed it because a lot of people also say that to us is that they felt it was very truthful and raw. Of course, we left some really personal stuff out because, you know, you just you can't, you know, just personal, personal stuff. But you know, I think I think it's a it's not a cautionary tale. It's just a truthful tale. Yeah, I think like for me, it was just like the contrast between playing the stadiums and particularly the, the, the one in Brazil where, you know, all the security and everything else and the massive shows and everything else. And then cut to probably, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes or half hour later in the in the documentary. 
there's there's like your your CD, your Slap Happy, like being put in landfill. Like that was like incredible to me. Like it was just yeah, the way the way the story went and fantastic to see at the end through social media and stuff like that. You you reformed and and sort of now you're you're back out on the road and playing shows and and as we'll get to in a second, I've got the I've got the tour dates here. I'll read them out now. It's a bit pointless to be honest because most of them are sold out. So if you're looking for tickets, you can get tickets for Brisbane and Adelaide and that's it. But so your tour dates in Australia, December the 8th, you're playing the Metro in Sydney. That's sold out. The 9th of December, it's a Tivoli in Brisbane. You still get tickets for that as you can for the Gov in Adelaide on the 12th of December. Then you've got the 13th of December, Rosemount Hotel in Perth. That's the one I'll be waiting for. That's sold out. And then three nights in Melbourne, 15th, 16th and 17th, all sold out. It must feel amazing to, to to still be selling out shows, you know, and coming back and especially somewhere like Australia where you traditionally wouldn't have toured that much. Like it must feel amazing to just to come here and, and sell out shows like that. No, it, it is amazing. And it's, you know, the love we've felt, especially, it, you know, not only when we when we first reunited in 2015, I think we may have come to Australia in 2016. I'm not sure. But since the horrible pandemic shut everything down, like, our, you know, and, and this tour was announced, you know, the response was was automatic. And it was really kind of shocking because, you know, we'd already done the reunion and 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 it was like great. And then, you know, oh, are people still going to be interested in seeing us? We've kind of done our victory lap of the reunion and blah, blah, blah. And then it was like, you know, we announced we were going to do Bricks Are Heavy back to back or, you know, our kind of our biggest album. And just it was ticket sales were jumping as soon as it was released. So thank you, New Zealand and Australia. Much appreciated to, to you know, thanks for the love. And we can't wait to rock with you guys. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be an awesome night at, at the Rosemount. There's not many, I'm a single dad, Danita, and there's not many gigs that come up where, on the week that I have my kids where I'll go, do you know what? I'm going to get a babysitter for that one. But I definitely <laughs> am. I definitely am for that show at the Rosemount. I can't wait for that. It's going to be awesome. Just on, on Bricks Are Heavy, which is obviously, I would probably go as far as to say, a sort of iconic album. How was it like learning the songs? There would have been songs, I imagine, on the album that you haven't even played live before. So so how was it sort of like rehearsing and, and learning those songs again? And Some of them we had played in the reunion thing. Some of them we hadn't played since... 1992. I think one of the songs, the last song on the record, This Ain't Pleasure, we had never played live. So we and we hadn't played Wargasm, the first song on the record since mm -hmm. 1992, because they're both difficult songs <laughs> to yeah. play and to sing. So but we're opening with Wargasm and ending with This Ain't Pleasure. And, um, you know, we're pulling them off. They, they're they're barnstorming. So, you know, get ready to rock right out of the gate because. Those are, you know, Morgasm is probably the fastest song on the record, and it's the first song of the set. So be ready, people. Don't be dicking about at the bar getting getting exactly. drinks. Exactly. Yeah, make sure, yeah. make sure oh. you're out there. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I want to talk to you about the album as well, Ricks are Heavy. Like, how was it like working with Butch Vig, obviously, was was the producer on the album. How was it working with him and and what do you feel like he brought? to the recording and, and the album? Well, first of all, personality wise, he's not a pretentious dude at all. He's not an arrogant dude. You know, a lot, some guys you meet in LA, they've got a bit of a, you know, and they have a, they just think they're the shit, you know? And it's like, well, you know, you're not that much of the shit, but, but Butch, you know, was from the Midwest, not from LA. And he just, and he was a musician himself and had been in a few bands so he was just, he didn't have any airs about him, but he just had a very good sense of melody 
and what's hooky and encouraging us to follow our instincts on what is catchy and hooky. And instead of like, oh no, I don't, I don't know about that. That sounds a little too, you know, he would be very much like, yeah, try it, go, you know, like put in that backing vocal, you know? So he was very, he wasn't afraid of overdubs and he wasn't afraid of, you know, getting, getting some hooky, poppy, poppier elements into our music, encouraging us to, to, to try those out. I wanted to talk to you as well because that tour was was pretty chaotic for for that album as well and I know you I know you're probably tired of talking about this but I don't imagine you would have spoken about it to too many people who actually saw it live I wanted to talk to you about the word if you don't mind you probably guess from my accent I'm not an Australian I'm I'm English I grew up in England and for me the word was like a, a culturally significant TV show of its time and I, I watched it religiously every week and, and I've managed to to catch your performance on there. And something that always struck me like about that is there was a lot of, you know, for anyone who's not aware, you, you finish the song Pretend We're Dead, I, I believe. Was it your amp or, or Susie's amp? I'm not sure. Standing on top of the amp with your jeans and underwear around your ankles, right? And yes. considering it made quite a, a splash publicity-wise at the time, but I always felt like, considering, like, if you'll pardon my French, the fucked up shit that they used to get up to on that show, like, it was nothing. Like, it didn't warrant the amount of, like, you know, sort of attention that it got. And I just wondered, like, if you felt that and, you know, and any sort of other memories you, you sort of had of, of playing on that show. Well, I didn't know. I, I had never heard of the word before and I had never seen the show before mm. until we were on set. And I okay. saw what they were getting up to. And I and listen, I, I'm not throwing the word under the bus. It helped make our career, you know, you know, and, and the host was very nice to us and everybody there was kind. Nobody was, you know, but some of the shenanigans they were up to on the show, I, I was pretty I thought were kind of cruel spirited. And I found yeah. that about British press in particular at the time. I don't think they're as bad now as they used to be, but there's like a you know, they smile in your face and then they throw you under the bus yeah. as, you know, when, when, you know, just British journalists in general were kind of catty and nasty. And, and I saw that going on. They had a, a hidden camera in Ol actor Oliver Reed's dressing room. And that. That yeah. Yeah. Outrageous. And mm. then they had a stupid male bum contest and which I thought, which I found exploitative and lame. And so that helped inspire my pants dropping. So, yeah. um, you know, but I, I, I love, I love the footage. It's hilarious. And I love the kids dancing and the set is very psychedelic and in a, in a yeah. late eighties, early nineties way. So we had a good time on the word. Yeah. yeah. No, it was, for me, it was like that. It's in, it was in that time slot where you just come home from the pub and, and it comes on, like you say, chaotic is probably the right, the right word for it. And, you know, we were not invited because we didn't crack the top 20. We, we, we never got on pop of the top of the pops. So yeah. at least we made a splash on the word, you know, yeah. we didn't get top yeah. of the pops, but we made a splash on the word. So there you go. One of the first questions I wrote down when I, when I found out I was interviewing you, it's one of the things I enjoy most about, about doing this is I get to ask questions that I've always wondered about and, this this question was answered about 20 minutes into the documentary, but I'm going to ask it anyway, just for the benefit of the listeners. I wanted to ask you, 
it always seems strange to me. And I always wanted I wanted to ask you, why do you play a flying V? It seemed a strange sort of choice for for your for your sort of band. Well, it was it was my drummer at the t- our drummer at the time rented a room from me in the house that I rented. And it was his first month's rent and it was a used flying V and it was kind of a, I don't know if it was an Ibanez, it was just a mess. And I loved it. It was just like, oh my God, this is awesome. Because it was, it was at the time, it was pretty uncool to play a V. So it was mostly metal guys playing a flying V and we were definitely punk rock, you know, of, of punk, we were definitely punk rockers kind of doing a stripped down sort of metal stripped down, no pun intended, but yeah, you know, kind of a deconstructed hard rock mixed mm. with punk thing. But so it was just, it was sort of an ironic statement and kind of, you know, taking the piss towards the sort of sunset strip guys, but you know, then it became my thing. And now it's my pain in the ass because the, although I love the flying V it's, it's, they're, they're big. And my road, you know, my road cases are big for my carry, my, my, my guitar cases are big. So it's like, Susie's got this like small, cute little melody maker, you know, and I've got this big flying V. So it's, (laughs) it's, 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 I love them, but, and it's my thing now. So there you go. And just sort of, again, going back to the documentary and the highs and lows and everything you've been through as a band and, you know, you've seen, you've seen like, you know, a lot of aspects of, of the music industry. What's a piece of advice you would give to to bands starting out now with regards to, you know, signing for record companies and, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. What sort of advice would you give? You know, I saw, I saw a documentary last night about the LA punk scene and a guy in the, who was interviewed in that had the best thing to say. It was either a guy or a gal. I'm not sure, but you know, form your band first and then learn how to play. (laughs) It's kind of like, you know, like I think a lot of times that's, you know, find the people you want to play with, or at least who want to achieve the, the musically, the kind of things you want to do or like, you know, and if you don't know how to play, fucking learn, you know, and, and you don't have to necessarily play right out of the gate. Just, you know, yeah. have a few beers with your friends. Hey, who wants to, I'm thinking of starting a band. Who wants to be in the band? Okay. What do you want to play? You know, that's how punk started. And, and I would say, instead of being intimidated by the people who can play very, very well, that's great, but that doesn't necessarily make a great band. So just, you know, you don't have to be a great player to start playing or to have a band. That's what I would yeah. say. Absolutely. Awesome. Fantastic advice. Okay. So as you know, my show, my radio show is called The Mixtape. And so when I get guests on, I like to sort of ask them to imagine they're making up a mixtape and pick a few tracks for it. So track one, whenever I make up a mixtape or a compilation or a playlist or anything like that, it's always the killer, the attention grabber you know, the one that's going to kick it off in, in fine style. So what, what track did you pick for that? I, pa- I pick California Love by Tupac and Dr. Dre. Yeah. My kids love that song. They always ask yeah. me to put it on in the car. No, and I asked our press agent, I was like, is this a rock show? Because if it's a rock show, they're not going to like my picks. So it's a mixtape. It's what is your mixtape. It's whatever you, okay, you listen to. That's the joy of I'm it. Just prepare- I'm just preparing you. Okay. <laughs> There's not many... Two pack 
and Dre songs that I can play to my kids um, in the car because they're quite young still. But yeah, that that is one of them. That yeah, that that always goes down well. They they love that one. I'll tell you a little secret. I used to think that the lyric for years was California, no doubt about it. And, and I didn't realize that it was California knows how to party until like years <laughs> later. So that's how I would sing it. No doubt about it. So that I can add my embarrassment into that one as well. I love, I love a misheard lyric. That's, that's a whole, that's a whole podcast episode on its own. That Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, Track two of, of the mixtape is, Danita, a song that you sing loud and proud when you're on your own in the car or the shower. Well, I would sing this song and this entire band's repertoire loud and proud anywhere. They're one of my favorites. And so I'm going to go. I, it's hard to choose one by them, but because I'll, I'll, I'm picking kind of an upbeat one for the playlist for the mixtape. But <laughs> Take a Chance on Me by ABBA. And I love ABBA. Right choice. A, a, I love so good songs, and to me, they 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 rival the Beach Boys in their production and their mm. harmonies. And so, I love ABBA, and and Take a Chance on Me is one of their many jewels. Yeah, I think that's the first time anyone's picked ABBA on the mixtapes. Yeah, that's a first. So brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. Growing up in the seventies and eighties, like they were. They were obviously everywhere after the after the Eurovision Song Contest, and yeah, over the years I've been my ex wife dragged me to to Mamma Mia on on more than one occasion at the theatre. Yeah, you can't you can't go past Abra. I think they're one of those bands that just transcend the genre really. Like even doesn't matter what music you listen to, if you if you appreciate good music, then you know that songwriting and like you say the harmonies untouchable. I think they're they're yeah superb, fantastic choice. Even in the even in the peak of my punk rockdom, I always loved ABBA. So it's like, yeah. you know, there you go. Fantastic. And track three, Danita, I asked you to pick uh, a cover version. What did you go with? I went with Devo's Satisfaction. Oh, uh, you're the second person to pick that song. Someone else go. picked that not long ago. Your Perth band picked that. Yeah, that fantastic version. Yeah, go on. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, that, no, when I first heard it, 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 that's when the album first came out. And I was like, this is revolution. This is, this is it, throwing down the gauntlet, man. It was just so shocking and it was so clever. So that that is one of the greats. Evo, I think they're, they're probably, I don't think in Australia people realize how big Evo are outside of Australia. Like they're, they're mm. massive. And that version in particular, what I like about that is if you didn't know, obviously you'd have to be living under a rock to not know that's a Rolling Stone song. But if you didn't know, you would pick it. You wouldn't think it was a cover because they really stamped their own um, sound on on that and style on that cover version. Yeah. And that for me is always a good a good sign of a, of a good cover version is, is if it's got your sound and you're not just, you know, copying the original. Yeah, I'm gonna Hannah from from a Perth band called The Psychotic Reactions pick that song. So yeah, I'm gonna message her later and let her know that you picked that as well because I'm sure she's a fan of of L7, so oh, she'll great. be buzzing off that. For Danita, and I asked you to pick a song you wish you could play to your 18 year old self. What did you pick? Oh, that's that's a weird one because by the time I was 16, I was already a certified music snob. I've yeah, always been very same. particular about what I liked. And my musical tastes have not changed very much. I liked Frank Sinatra then. I still like Frank Sinatra. But I would play to my 12-year-old self mm. sports by the Viagra Boys. 
Not, not, I, I like sports and I played sports as a kid, but I like that they are cracking on the sports mentality of people who are into sports and really don't, uh, I don't know, I just take it as like people who are have tunnel vision about sports and culturally are not really turned on to much else. So um, yeah. I like that very much. And the, and the, the lyrics are very B-52s-esque in their absurdity and yeah. the track rocks. So yeah. That's what I, sports by the Viagra boys. Great choice. Great choice. And just very quickly, the last track, because I'm aware I'm a little bit over time. We've all done it when we make up a mixtape or a compilation, a song to let the listener of your tape know that you're romantically interested in them. What, what did you pick for that? Well, it would probably turn off a lot of people, but it would be Shoop by Salt and Pepper. Fantastic choice. Assault with a Deadly Pepper. That was the first album I ever bought when I was, I know, whatever, 15 or 16 years old. Oh, yeah. cool. Cool. Well, Shoop is Shoop is genius, and it's a classic, and that that would be the one. I'll wrap it up there, Danita, because I'm a little bit over time, and I don't want to put anyone else behind schedule. Thanks so much okay. for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time. Um, can't wait to see you at the Rosemount on the 13th of December. Bricks are heavy. I think it's metropolistouring.com for the final two shows that are not yet sold out. Safe travels, Danita, and I'll see you soon. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Cheers. Okay, bye-bye. That was a mixtape podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to jump up to the top of the page and smash that follow button and you'll be notified every time there's a new episode or follow me on Instagram at the mixtape perf. Till the next time.